Welcome to this week's episode of Free Play. I'm your 7th level Bardcast host, Michael. Today I'll be speaking with a member of, well, I guess I could say former member or, or lost member of our uh, local group, Scott, and we're going to be discussing a very important topic to me, which is finding the right system. So did I lose my title of former founder? No, actually, I think that probably works better. Former founder, former founding member of our group. Yeah, because I was there at the very beginning. That's right. And uh, we have some really strong members out of that core. So it's it's good that we can talk since uh, you're so far away now. Yeah. Uh, what? All, more than two-thirds away across the country. Yeah, and... This is, I guess, this is a silver lining for the, uh, the the whole event going around us in the last year is that we've actually all learned how to use the online services and actually reconnect and get you back to playing with us again. Yeah, yep. That's definitely been fun. Of course, I don't think any of us are playing in a game that you're in. Uh, you're playing in a, a game with a bunch of new players. Oh, well, well Kit is in that game sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, I think in that game we have two from Arizona, one from, I want to say North Carolina, one from New York, and me here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so the online community is kind of starting to, I think, grow a little bit. I, I do wish we had more and we could expand more, but um, that just hasn't happened yet. Give it time. So our topic... So our topic today is going to be talking about finding the right system. When we started uh, kind of popping off with these uh, topics, I, I thought about this one as kind of a, a, a key topic that I wanted to talk about, mostly because we've touched it a little bit on in our main show, but really haven't explored or, or delved deeper into it. And I would like to get your take on what you think is kind of the first uh, first element that you look for in a in a system to help with how you're going to set up or how you even pick it before you start setting it up? Uh, the first element I look at is who I'm planning on having in the game. So if I'm having all new players, I'm going to select a system that is easier to learn without a lot of nitpicky rules or something that they may be familiar with. Um, critical role is very popular these days, so a lot of people are becoming familiar with Dungeons & Dragons who have never played. So that's a popular go-to for new players. Uh, it's not necessarily my first one for new players, but that's a good one. So that's where I first start. Uh, after that, I look at what type of game I want to play. I may want to play, you know, something space-based. Uh, do I want it a space opera? Do I want it uh, hard sci-fi? And that'll kind of choose that role. If I, do I, if I want to play fantasy, again, I, do I want, you know, high fantasy or do I want something a little more gritty? Um, you know, I can go from Dungeons & Dragons for high fantasy to Role Master for something very gritty um, for the people that have college degrees and really want to keep track of all that math. Yeah. 
I try to stay away from systems where I have to think about math too much. Uh, math Finder was probably the end of my career in that direction. And that's not even the most complicated game I have. I have one that literally keeps track of the time of flight of bullets. Yeah, I just don't, I don't find that of interest in a game. I'm there to create a story, and if you're worried about that, great. If that's the kind of game you want to go for. So you're talking about the, the players that you've selected to be in this or or want to play and say, hey, I'd love to play in one of your games. You're looking at them and their their game style or you're looking at what might interest them. Because for me, it's usually um, I'm trying to pitch an idea and see if I can get buy-in into the game before I really start working on it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I do a little of both. Um, sometimes I have an idea of what I want to run. And then I'll pitch it and try to get buy-in. Um, the current game I'm running, um, it they actually came to me and asked me to run a game for them. Um, they wanted me to run Star Wars. And, well, there are multiple systems for Star Wars out there. But I also had, out of the group, two-thirds of the group were brand-new players had never played a role-playing game before in their lives. So out of all the versions of Star Wars that I have, and I do have them all, I decided to go with the oldest version because it had the most space opera feeling to it, that, that movie, cinematic movie feeling without the crunchy rules, and is very, e very forgiving if you forget a rule. So with new players, I find that's really good. Um, but I didn't have to get buy-in on that. Um, they proposed it to me and they had to get me to buy in on it. Yeah, especially tackling a game that has so much background and 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 a huge expansive universe even if it's not all recognized by its parent company. It's still good to see that you can take such a big uh enveloping universe and take a slice out of it and and get the players to try you know, dive right into that and find fun. And then to take an older system that, for the most part, a lot of us that have been around, older systems have a lot of crunch and they don't have a lot of that freedom to put us this rule aside or this one aside and actually worry about story. But the one you're talking about actually, and it, it allows both. I, I think it could allow that crunchy player to play in it and also that narrative-driven player to enjoy it as well. Yeah, and the lack of levels and the way they do progression with skills um, and literally the experience the characters get, they can use it in different ways. So I'm really enjoying running that system, but it's not the right system for everyone. And even running that system, I have a rule with any game I run, and it's the one rule I will hold to no matter what game I run. First, is player fun. Player fun trumps the story every time. If the story is not going to be fun for the players or the GM, then fun comes first. And then are mechanics. So the mechanics are there to help facilitate the gameplay. They're not the end-all and be-all, but they're there mostly to keep some type of continuity for how 
people do something. You don't want the weakest character there to be best the strongest character in an arm wrestling match. It's it's just not going to feel right. So you need that kind of continuity that a rules base will provide. But if the rules get in the way of the story, you throw that rule out. If the rules get in the way of fun, you throw that rule out. But if, you know, if everybody is having fun with the story and the rules, you can keep it all in. Again, it depends on your play style and the system you're using. Some systems are less forgiving about tossing out a rule. And so you have to really be careful with those systems on who you run it with. There are rules lawyers out there, and you know they want you to abide by every rule in the book. Um, we both know some of those people. And it's just part of the hobby. I mean, you come across people that love to dive in deep and get it right into the mechanics and and really live those mechanics as much as possible because they are into simulation of uh, situations. They like the skirmish type, type of game and they like to simulate that stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And everybody in my current game came over from the tabletop X-Wing game. They're all Pittsburgh players from that group. Um, they're all the top-tier players from that group. And they're used to diving into rules, actually, really looking at the meaning behind the rules to figure out, it, you know, how is this written? How is this intended? And even then, I wanted to make sure that we got away from that. So when I picked the system, I went for the, the least rules-intensive system. And, well, Fantasy Flight Games does have a new Star Wars system out, but I didn't want to go into that one because even it had a stricter rule set that I wanted to introduce these players to. I'm currently working on a fantasy campaign, and for that I'm going to end up using 5th editions, you know, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition for, because it fits the style of game I want to run. And it's flexible enough. Um, not all the rules are applicable. And there are some optional rules in the books that people don't use, which I will be using and building on. But your system, while it's important to select the system that fits your game style, your your player style, fits the kind of game you want to run, you can take and do what you want to do with the systems. But pick one that's closest to what you want to do. Don't make more work for yourself. When it comes to that point when you've decided on the players and you've kind of got them to buy into the system, they've actually shown some interest in not only the system that you're going to be running, but also the way you run it. What comes to me as kind of the first step after I get to that point is asking some questions about the kinds of characters they're going to be interested in. What what aspects of life do they want to explore? And I take the answers from those questions and start looking at how I'm going to build that system or that story and make sure that it melds well with the system that I've selected. So I think my next point would be, what is it that you look at once you've decided on players and the possible 
system that you're going to use and how you're going to use it? What would be your next step? If I have an overarching story in mind, one that the characters can can play with, then I usually go on to a zero session. If I don't have an overarching story in mind, which I've done games without that, where we build as we go, I just kind of look for what's going to work the best, and we go with it from there. Sometimes a rule or just the feel of the system isn't quite right. Um, I said this about 4th edition. And as background, I have played since the 1st edition, first printing of 1st edition. So I've been around for a while, and I've played them all, and some systems just don't have the feel. I always said that 4th edition felt like a tabletop MMORPG. It didn't feel right to me. So I didn't run that system. I barely played in that system for those reasons. It just didn't fit with my style. And while I had fun in the limited place I had, I just I couldn't find my groove in it. So I guess that's important, is finding your groove in the system you're running. And some systems I love, people absolutely hate. And you know, I see that smile. You know exactly which one I'm going to say. Because one of my favorite games that I ran in college was Amber, the diceless role-playing game. <laughs> and Michael's shaking his head. That is, that is an abomination. <laughs> not, not that I have a problem with the, the setting and and the design of the game it's just the idea of not having any dice in my hand and being able to roll them to you know resolve the conflict it's a it's an entirely different experience so i mean if people want to try something like that i'm all in favor of it. i just personally won't do that ever again <laughs> and that being said how much i loved running that game i would have never used that system for any other game it didn't, I, I bent my brain in every way you could. I looked like a pretzel trying to make that system work for anything else, and it just didn't. It worked for Amber and Amber alone. So if I'm going to run an Amber-based game, yeah, I'll break that out. But that is, that's few and far between. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think I could find a player for that these days. Yeah, the crazy thing when I started looking at the system for Legends of the Five Rings, the fourth edition one, of course, it's still using the same roll and keep since the first edition. But when I sat down to see if the players could understand it, I thought about, well, is this a is this a system like you were talking about, Amber Diocles, only kind of working for that setting? Roll and keep is is a cool concept, but really it's a concept that was designed for Legends of the Five Rings. It, to work outside of that, it might be a little difficult to just quickly transfer it to something else. It would take a lot of work and your brain would turn into a pretzel to make it work for something else because its system is based around the Five Rings. So 
Um, when I looked at that, I knew what I wanted to kind of set to the side and I knew what my players are going to really want to look at. So I liked that setting for, or that system for what they wanted, which was to explore the samurai world of, of uh, L5R. Yeah, I mean, and there are other systems that are easily bent to your will, and some are designed specifically for that. Um, GURPS does that, I don't want to say extremely well, because it is very number crunching, but they do it in a relatively fluid way. Although, I've never run GURPS. I've played in a GURPS game, but I've never actually run it. Pretty much during the end of second edition for Dungeons and Dragons, I wasn't running that. I was running Palladium Fantasy because I liked the feel. I liked the world. I liked the character classes. And we really went and ran with it. The people that I played that game with in high school are still some of my best friends. Um, one of them's part owner of a game company. So. You, you never know what system's going to be right for you. Just keep an open mind going into a new system. Um, and remember, the rules are not rules. If you look in the front of any game book, they tell you they're guidelines. So, you know, bend it to your will. Uh, if, if it fits the story and it fits the fun you're having, you can make any system work. Just pick the one closest to your style. That way you can put your work into telling a good story with everybody at the table, having that good shared narrative instead of focusing on mechanics. If you want to focus on mechanics, there are a whole bunch of really good, really popular miniatures games that you can go and play. Yeah, when I was coming out of uh, my addiction to second edition D&D, uh, it was straight into World of Darkness, so I really turned the corner to something entirely different where classes and races were viewed in a different way, and you really just kind of created a person and then moved a template over the top of it. Whereas before, I'd you know, you were a, a fighter, and that's what you were. You had a set of skills, and you, you could try to do other things, but it was the mindset that had to change going into world of darkness. And I, I point to that moment as when I started to understand what it meant to step out of a comfort zone and try some different games. And when it comes to selecting a, a system, I think that you need to make sure that the players are in a, in a comfortable space, but if they're willing to take that leap into something new, Give them something new, something entirely different. Um, when I when I presented Blades in the Dark the first time, I presented it <clears throat> with that same kind of idea of, hey, let's let's step away from D and D and and World of Darkness. Let's try something really outside of any of us's experience. Especially me running the game the first time, I was like, I. To be honest, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm reading this rule book. I've read it a few times, and I kind of understand the concepts, but this is a new thing for me. And luckily, our group was its very flexible when it comes to trying something new. So we all kind of loved that game 
once we got used to running the rules. Yeah, I was there for that first, for the beginning of that. And I had a lot of fun. And it's funny that you mentioned the World of Darkness. That's actually one of my least favorite systems. I don't know why. I think it was, it's probably some bias from the first few times I played Vampire the Masquerade. And it just stuck with me through that. There have only been a couple of times that I've enjoyed playing in the World of Darkness. One we were playing, what is it, the Monster Hunter once? Yeah. Uh, another one was the Fae-based one. And then your Mage game. <laughs> so I can count on one hand how many times I've really enjoyed games that I've played in that. And it it came down, nothing was part of that system. It had nothing to do with the system. It had to do with the shared narrative, the shared stories we were telling versus the system. The system fit the feel of the game, which is important. But in the end, the the people, you know, the game moderators were, were bending the system to fit the feel of their story and to make sure everybody was having fun. But by choosing the system closest to the feel they wanted, that was less work than saying trying to bend uh, role master to world of darkness. Um, you're going to spend months just figuring out the basics for it, and it's still not going to feel right or work the way you want it to work. But if you start with something else or something that's very rules light, then you can easily bend it. A lot of people are happy with the fate system. Some like that, some don't. Um, I'm a big fan of the original Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2020. Uh, I felt it was it worked well for what you wanted to do. Uh, I don't think it worked well for a fantasy setting, but it worked well for that. I point to Cyberpunk 2020 as kind of an influence for my game uh, Five Aces because... I played a lot of Cyberpunk 2020 and I really enjoyed the concepts behind the world and the way the system actually promoted that that idea of you're a person who's living in a world and your 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 survival depends on how cool you look and how many pieces of metal you can attach to your body in a cool way but at the same time as you added cybernetics your humanity dropped. And for me, that was kind of a core concept that I dragged over into Five Aces because I wanted that idea that your separation from being fully organic to having pieces of uh, mechanical parts attached to you separated you a little bit. That cyberpsychosis was a bitch. Yeah, and so that was kind of a big part of what I wanted in Five Aces is that you, as you added to this, you could get to the point where you wouldn't have anything left of you but the cybernetics. And I really enjoyed Cyberpunk 2020 because uh, it just had a cool feel to it as yeah. far as its mechanics in the setting. So, Oh, yeah. And I, I came up with one of my own little twists on it. And it all came about because I had a player that we couldn't trust with dice rolls. And, and you're laughing because you, we've all been at a table where you know somebody is fudging their dice rolls. 
and anybody who knows dice, if a dice is made properly, the opposite ends equal one more than the number of sides on a dice. So a six-sided dice, opposite sides of a six-sided die will total seven. Well, Cyberpunk uses ten-sided die. And if you roll a ten, it's an open-ended roll. And we had a player that I knew he didn't roll a 10. I didn't have to see the top of his die. I could look across the room, and if I could see a 1 facing me anywhere on the die, I knew he hadn't rolled a 10. So for things that were, I didn't want the the players to know the outcome of a roll, I had them make 10 rolls. So they knew what their 10 rolls were going to be, but they didn't know what order they were going to be in because then I would randomize their roles and say they needed to make a, a, like a perception roll. They didn't know if they succeeded or failed. So it brought in a little bit of stress to them, and it was all to keep one specific player from fudging his dice rolls. <laughs> and I've used that in other games and other systems um, and I've pulled some of it over, and I'm even going further into that. Um, while I like to roll dice, I've also run a diceless game, and there are advantages to both. You like the randomness of of rolling a die to succeed or fail. Um, and some systems are really good at it, some are not. Um, some systems like the old D- West End Games D6 system, you can succeed and still get a complication. Or you can fail, but something good can still happen from the failure because they have a wild die at the end. And if you fa- if you succeed and that wild die came up a one, there's a pot- plot complication. It could be the example they use is when Luke and Leia are the Death Star running from the stormtroopers, and she's like, close the door, and... and close the door and she's like lock it and he's like there's no lock so he blasts the panel and then she's like well extend the bridge and he's like I think I just blasted the bridge controls that was a success with a plot complication now you don't always have to add it I mean the game specifically says you don't always have to have a complication but if it's appropriate you can throw it in And I've started taking that into the other games I've run. I'm no longer going with a, a, we're going to use, because it's the most popular these days still, Dungeons and Dragons, you roll a a natural 20, it's always a success. I'm not doing that anymore. You might not succeed, but something good will happen if you roll that 20. Maybe you didn't hit your opponent. But you didn't damage them, but you hit them in such a way that it threw them off balance. Or when you roll that natural one, everybody thinks, well, that's a failure. Well, maybe not. Maybe now, yeah, you connected with your opponent. You did your damage because you beat their armor class, but now you've you've pulled a muscle. (laughs) I mean, there's still a consequence, but it's not on the same scale as it was before. And then I've taken it a little further on other things. Um, I love their idea of passive roles. 
What's your passive perception, your passive insight? And unless it's story critical, I'm using passive as often as possible. And I'm, I, the reason I'm doing that is because that means the system doesn't get in the way of the storytelling. I know how observant your character is. And unless it's very critical or the result of that can change what's going to happen in the story, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to use your passive because if you walk into a room and you're telling me you're looking around the room, I'm not going to make you roll unless there's something that if you miss is going to be detrimental or advantageous to the party. If that the myth, whether or not you succeed or fail at that role is important for the story. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, so, and that system with introducing of passive roles just really fits that play style. And I, I love it. It's a little harder to do with the old West End Games D6 role because there is, you're rolling multiple six-sided dice. It's hard to know where your success and failure is going to be on that. I mean, if your target number is 15 and you're rolling four six-sided dice, you could succeed or fail. It's all over the place. But I've still brought some of that over into that system where if it's not critical on whether you succeed or fail, I'm not bothering to have you roll for it unless I think there's a good possible plot complication that can happen from it. But then I'm not, I'm not forcing the situation. It still comes up to a chance of, of luck, and the, characters, no, the players feel like they have a little more agency in that, and we don't break the storytelling with the mechanics of rolling dice as much. That's something Amber did really well. With no dice, there was no breaking of your storytelling to roll dice. Which <laughs> Michael is like, ah. <laughs> he, he wants to I like my dice. I like my dice. Um, <laughs> and the funniest thing about that is I, I'm the horrible dice roller. I, I can't really roll very well with dice, but I love to have that added chance of something dynamic tapping for the character and the story around me. Yeah, but if it's not important to the story, it, the role doesn't necessarily need to happen. If you would succeed on a passive role, and it's not going to be dynamic for the storytelling, it's just going to slow down the story, I don't have them bother rolling. I, I seem to recall you guys talking about that in one of your early podcasts about, you know, the guy's tied up and somebody goes to shoot him and you have them roll and they roll a one, what do you do? You know, the guy's tied up. He's sitting right there. There's no reason why you he, you should have missed that shot. Now you've got to strain your mind for that instead of just saying, okay, if that's what you want to do, Go ahead, and and then just go on the story. Don't even ask for them to roll the die, because there's no reason for them to fail that. Not there's no good reason for them to fail that. If 
if that's the turn they want the story to go in. Yeah, exactly. As as long as it's not like killing another player character. Yeah. Uh, player versus player is an entirely different topic uh, <laughs> because we can go down a rabbit hole with that one. I tend to avoid systems that focus on that. I, I like to have some uh, some ideas and suggestions from the designer of the game on how to handle player versus player, but I'd like to avoid that kind of complication because that goes beyond the table sometimes where you get players against players rather than their PCs against each other. Yeah, and and systems can promote or penalize that. I mean, some systems make it really easy, and they want you to do that. And other systems are ambiguous, and some are, uh, no, don't do this. And it's, again, what fits your play style? What fits the play style of the people at the table? Uh, You've got to consider all that when you select a system. And don't worry if you're only familiar with one system. For example, if you've only ever played Dungeons and Dragons and that's the only books you have on your shelf, you don't have to run out and buy more books. Uh, At that point in time, take what you have and make it yours. Change a rule here and there. Yeah, be ready for it not to work and be ready to go with it. And if you're going to do that, let everybody at the table know you're doing that let them know you're going to try something different and if they're not enjoying it or they just think there's a way to improve it to let you know when i told my star wars players that i was not going to have them roll as often um, to help speed up the play i got thank yous from everybody because they they didn't want to roll all the time because they felt like too much of what they were doing was based in chance I, I and, and I understand those concepts very well. I I just don't want to uh, pull <laughs> one mecha- one physical attribute of the game that I enjoy because I don't really yeah. enjoy. Yeah, I don't enjoy miniatures. I do enjoy my dice, so I do like to have them, even if I'm you know occasionally just rolling them to see if they still work. Uh, so that bring us, brings us about around to the uh, topic, and I think uh, this is kind of one of those spots where we can wrap this topic up. And um, I appreciate you coming for this conversation, Scott. Uh, we oh, yeah. are going to have some more, but uh, I oh, think we'll definitely. wrap this one up. Yeah, we will wrap this one up, and then we will move on and have further discussions down the road. So uh, thank you for joining me for this episode and I will be eager to talk to you the next time. Oh yeah. Anytime you want to hear me ramble on. (laughs) All right. Thank you. This has been a production of seventh level Bardcast. copyright 2021. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor. So long as credit is provided to seventh level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thlevelbardcast.com. Also, connect with us through our Discord link on the website. We invite our audience to offer feedback, suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. To support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Alexander Nakarata. Thank you.